This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 22 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, presented by Equestrian Life, exclusive coverage of the world of dressage. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life. They can be found at equestrianlife.com and Kentucky Performance Products online at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Lisa Wilcox, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show, presented by Equestrian Life. Well, hi, Lisa. How are you this week? Great, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We've got a good show lined up this week. You know, we're going to be talking to Carl Hester, Lisa. You know Carl, of course, and he's had a really wonderful year this year. So we're really looking forward to that. So uh, you'll be want, you'll want to stay tuned for this week's show as we talk to uh, one of Britain's favorite dressage riders, Carl Hester. Um, oh, he'll be great fun. And and you know him, of course, from your time in Europe. Yes, and it's you know it's funny. Um, the last time I saw him was 2003 at the European Championships at Hickstead. and uh, and now we'll be talking about his successes at the recent European Championships at uh, Windsor. Yes. So it's, uh, it's it's great to see him have such great horses right now. And, you know, he sold his, his uh, that lovely horse that he'd had to uh, Hans-Peter Minderhut. So it's, it's always sad to see these top horse horses go off into the next hand. But as you can see, Carl is pulling him out of a hat. Yeah, he certainly is. A- yeah, he's not going to be retiring any time soon. But in the meantime, what have you been doing since we last spoke, Lisa? You've been traveling some, haven't you? I sure have. I uh, have been up to Nova Scotia, did a three-day clinic up in Canada, and uh, it's a lovely time of year to go up there. I enjoy that. I get to see the fall colors and feel uh, what 30 degrees feels like again, which three days wow. is fine <laughs> for me. Was it really but- that cold, was it? You know what? It was in the 30s, low 40s. And when it's damp like that, I, I guess I was underdressed, to put it. <laughs> well, from Florida to Nova Scotia, that's quite a leap, isn't it? Well, we went from 90 degrees. I went from 90 <laughs> degrees to that. So it was a very rude awakening. But I had a great time, great riders, great fun, lots of improvement, because it's one that I go back to, and this will be the third time I've gone back. So uh, I had, I really enjoyed seeing the improvement. That's, that's very encouraging. And what kind of facilities do they have up there, Lisa? Do they have, like, I guess in the winter they have to ride indoors, right? We are riding indoors. It's an indoor arena, and uh, you close it all up and you're fine. As long as you don't have any drafts or anything, you're doing just fine. But these guys are tough as nails. I got to chatting with one gal that said her barn overlooks the ocean. And she, in the wintertime, when it's minus 20 degrees Celsius, is watching surfers in dry suits in the oh ocean surfing. Oh I just said it's... That's okay. I would die. Oh, well, that's too cold. And, that's they, too and cold. they will argue that, well, they won't argue. They'll just say, it's great. The water's way warmer than the air. <laughs> well, I guess that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know what? They get accustomed to it. They just are very accustomed to the weather. You dress well. If you dress well for it, it's good, and you keep moving. Right. You can survive it. But, boy, I love Florida, and... That's going to be where Ms. Yeah. Wilcox retires. Uh, so what's the competition scene like up in, in that area of the world, uh, Nova Scotia, Lisa? Do they have an active uh, competition schedule at all levels or only up to a certain level? No, they have them at all levels, and it was very interesting. This Cheryl Meisner that is going actually quite well yet, just recently in Austria, I think she had, uh, she was, the first place, 72% freestyle, I believe. Wow. If I read that correctly, she is from this area in Chester, Nova, Nova Scotia, where I was. Wow. And so they do, they have to travel. They travel over to Ottawa. They go over to Montreal. Uh-huh. So they kind of have to travel to get to the big shows. Yes. That they're going to in Toronto. 
but um, they have every possibility we have. And besides the fact that, as you know, a lot of these guys, I'll have one of the Canadians is going to come down and train and do the winter season with me in Florida. So they have those options as well. Well, that but, sounds like uh, a very the- attractive option, I would say. If I lived in Nova Scotia, the, the, the appeal of Florida, I think, would do, do it for me. <laughs> yeah, no question whatsoever. And besides the fact, now you know Robert is obviously their team coach, technical advisor, and so uh, I think a lot of them would like to come down and be in Florida in the near. Yeah, and, uh, As well as I, I know he's traveling up to those guys, but... Um, they'd take advantage of the circuit that we've got to offer in uh, Wellington. Right, yeah, terrific, terrific. Well, yep. didn't I hear that they also listened to the Dressage Radio show up there? Yes, you did. I was stunned. <laughs> I was about to blah, blah, and explain to everybody there's this great radio show, and I was. they approached me first. I heard your episode on the radio on the Dressage show, and I said, you're kidding me, and they're waiting to hear Isabel's, and they're excited about all the news, all the, all the different people you're going to be interviewing or we are going to be interviewing. So it's getting a lot of uh, press. I was impressed. I was impressed. That's terrific. Well, uh, special greetings to all our listeners up in Nova, Nova Scotia. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we hope you continue to enjoy the show, and especially now you have one of your favorites on on the show alongside me, uh, Lisa. So that, that that's great to hear. That's great. To we'll hear. keep them updated. That's that's right. We'll keep them updated, and uh, as always, we love to hear from you. So, if you have any questions or comments or observations that, about the show, and uh, you can always email us. We always give you our email out address at the end of the show, and uh, of course, if you have any questions for Lisa too, so uh, be sure to write to us. Absolutely. Well, well, we're coming out to the news of the week, Lisa. Um, and, of course, it's the uh, start of the new World Cup uh, calendar, uh, beginning over in Odense in Denmark this past weekend. Uh, that was our first uh, first show of the Western European League. And uh, that, not, not too unsurprisingly, went to uh, Anki van Grunz when she rode Salinero, bringing her Olympic champion back into indoors for the winter. Um, she'd had a, apparently a, a frustrated time with him in, in, in the past, but you know he's turned 15, you know, and uh, and she got a score of something like 81.45 was her score. Apparently a lovely test that pleased the judging panels, and right behind her was her teammate Edward Gull, and I've been reading about this performance. He was riding a, a very eye-catching and extra- extravagant mare that thrilled the crowds, a mare called Sister de Jure, who finished runner-up uh, is the 10-year-old uh, mare by Gribaldi, and they finished just uh, two points behind Salonero early on in the show, and then they moved up a little bit closer to finish on the freestyle with a score of 80.35. And, uh, These are incredible scores. If you think they? about it, that's his second-best horse. That's his second-best horse, Lisa. <laughs> and and you know, what they're saying, that as hard as it could be to imagine that, that there could be another horse that could be comparable to Moreland's Totulus, this seems to be the female version of him. Oh. Uh, you know, can one rider be so lucky to find two horses of that caliber? I'll tell you something. I thought, I think he found the right breeding farm. Yes. I think he hooked up with the right gestute. Yes. And and knowing as we do as riders, they've they uh, you know we've got to keep them coming. Yeah. And just when you think you've got two top ones, four years are gone before you realize it, and. Uh, he looks like he's got plenty more where these come from. Yes. Well, very lucky for, for Edward and uh, what fabulous horsepower to have. Um, so good luck to him. He's got off to a great start. So he's second in the rankings after the first round on 17 points and Anki leads with 20. And they'll be heading now with the World, with the World Cup Series. We'll be heading to south to France, to Lyon, at the end of October. So we'll be keeping up with that series all through the winter. And the final will be next March, the end of March 2010, at Togenbosch uh, in the Netherlands. So, uh, uh, as always, that will be an exciting uh, uh, World Cup qualifiers. And not least of all with the Western European League, we'll be keeping an eye on that. Of course, we'll be keeping an eye on it around the world. But, um, of course, the Western European League is the most hotly contested, isn't it, Lisa? Correct. Absolutely. And I have uh, just read that... Uh Cheryl Meisner was uh, very well. Uh, she rode very well in Austria. 
and is either first or second right now for the Western League. For the Western League, great. Yes, great. Correct. Great. So great. that just put Canada in a good spot. Yeah. Well, talking about um, rankings, we just heard that uh, Adelinda Cornelison, who was uh, on the show just a few weeks ago, the uh, European silver medalist with Parseval, they maintained their place on top of the leaderboard in the FEI riders' rankings for the second months with 2,253 points. The 30-year-old Dutch rider made the top of the rankings after her individual and team gold medal victories at the European Championships in August. And right behind her, a little bit surprisingly, actually, since Isabel and Werth and Sachmo have been uh, sidelined for a while, but she's maintained her second place with 2,249 points. Um, and those of you who follow the Dressage Radio Show will know that uh, Isabel was a guest on the, the episode 22 just last week, and a very popular episode that turned out to be. So take a listen to that if you haven't already. Our, our shows are archived on the website, so you can always catch up with them if you miss an episode. Uh, but back to the European uh, to the to the rankings, the FRI rider rankings, and Edward Gall and Totilus, not unsurprisingly, he remains in third place on that leaderboard right now with 2,204 points, uh, followed by Anki with Salinero in fourth place, and, and Stefan and Ravel are in fifth place currently on 2,145 points and we will put those rankings up on our website so you can follow the link to the full list of the rankings and uh, our final item of news this week and you alluded to it a little bit earlier there Lisa was the announcement that um, our friend Robert Dover who again was on the show here a few weeks ago he's actually going to be leading Team Canada as their high performance technical advisor and coach so uh, really exciting times for him I know on his website he's been making mention of it and uh, on Facebook if anybody follow if, follow if you follow Robert out there you'll know that he's heading into a new chapter in his life that's that's great for him and of course uh, he's your neighbor isn't he Lisa he's right there. he sure is and you know I just having been up in Canada they're so excited they love his energy his enthusiasm and his positive approach they're so looking for someone to build them back up again. I think they've lost their confidence a little bit uh, in some aspects as a, as, a, as a large team and as individuals even. Um, there have been, obviously, Ashley has been out there the, and holding her own, but they're really looking for someone to come in and, and especially with Robert's plan and program and uh, all that he has intended I think they are going to have quite a year. I think he's going to get things motivated, get things moving. And I yeah. know that uh, he's very strategic, isn't he? As you're saying, has got such a positive spirit always, and very encouraging and motivating. I think it's going to be a great thing for the Canadians. Canada's welcoming him. They're very yeah. happy. Very happy about it. Well, that's terrific. Well, if you're listening, Robert, the very best of luck with that. It's a new chapter in your life. We wish you all the very best. Enjoy the ride, Robert, and uh, no doubt we'll see you back here in Kentucky next year for the World Equestrian Games as you try and uh, battle against the rest of the world with your new Canadian team. So we'll be following you with interest. And we're going to take a short break now, Lisa, um, for our sponsors, Equestrian Life. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking to Carl Hester. So stay tuned. It is fantastic to have our friends at Equestrian Life as the title sponsors for the Dressage Radio Show. If you have not been to Equestrian Life yet, you need to go. In addition to being the official social community for the Horse Radio Network, it is one of the fastest-growing horse communities on the Internet. It is truly the Facebook for horse people. The goal of EquestrianLife.com is to bring equestrians together and to provide them with the breadth and depth of information and tools they need to learn and connect with other horse lovers who share the same passion. EquestrianLife.com is a fun, inviting website that strives to provide its members with a world-class experience that fosters the expression of all the ways people enjoy their horses and the people who are part of the horse world. EquestrianLife.com's social media platform provides users with cutting-edge applications and tools, such as people in horse profiles, social Q&A, status updates, messaging, photo uploading, groups, comments, blogs, expert high-definition videos, directories, birthday reminders, alerts, messaging, and on and on and on. 
in addition to their partnership with the Horse Radio Network. This community is designed by horse people for horse people and is filled with educational and entertaining video and audio all about our horses. Ride on over to Equestrian Life today, sign up for free, and tell all of your friends. If you love horses, equestrianlife.com is the place to be. Well, thanks again to our sponsors, Equestrian Life. Remember to visit them online at equestrianlife.com. Well, Lisa, we're going to join Carl Hester now, who, um, as we said earlier, he's been at the forefront of British dressage for a number of years. I think something like 20 years he's been uh, in, in high-performance dressage and very popular rider in the UK, a terrific amount of fun no matter where he goes and uh, has had good horses in the past and then he's had a bit of a lull like so many riders and then he finds another one and uh, he certainly has found a, a really good horse in this Liebling. He is now sailing on his uh, laurels here after his success at the European Championships, taking home a team silver medal. So uh, a wonderful year for him. So we're really looking forward to talking to uh, Carl. So let's get him on the line here. Okay. Well, we're joined now by Carl Hester from England. Carl, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and welcome to the Dressage Radio Show, your first appearance with us. It is. It's a pleasure to be here. It's um, we're still having fun in England, so I'm having a sort of late summer here, and I'm on a bit of a break at the moment. So it's um, great to have a bit of time to chat to you. Well, it, it being your first time on the show, we need to give a little bit of background for our audience uh, um, in how you got into dressage and and where you're based. I know you're, uh, of course, I know you personally. Know you're you're based in a wonderful uh, place, a location in England. Uh, give us a little picture, if you will, of of your uh, establishment there and your setup, Carl. Well, I'm near Gloucestershire, so um, near the town, actually. So I'm actually, it's a very horsey part of the country here. Lots of eventing and um, dressage shows around here. So it's a great place to be located. I've got a 30-acre farm um, with 18 stables. It's actually only been built the last three years. Um, It's a very old mill house that I bought. So it's a very um, sort of cute part of um, English heritage. It's sort of like a red brick house, a very old house, and um, we built the stables out of, in fact, a demolished hospital nearby, which actually had the same old bricks that are um, likened to this area. So we built the stables, and I have a small indoor arena and uh, outdoor, and um, we do our training all here. It's very peaceful, and um, people come and have lessons with me and I travel out and do clinics and um, I've been in Gloucestershire ever since I came to England. I'm actually from the Channel Islands, a very small island called Sark, which um, actually has no cars on it. Just 600 people live there, so I was brought up there and uh, moved to England about 25 years ago and um, this is where I ended up. Well, it certainly is a beautiful spot and you've really just coming to the end of probably one of your best years in your career and so we should... uh uh, obviously, congratulate you for that, Carl. Uh, a silver, two silver medal in the European Championships, and a fantastic uh, success for the British team and and for you personally. Yeah, this has been a highlight of my year. I mean, I, well, highlight of all my years. I mean, I've been um, internationally competing for twenty years. So, I mean, I actually did young riders. I was on the young rider team, the European team, in nineteen eighty eight. And uh, I broke my leg. That was the one year I got selected to be on the team. And we had a week holiday before we were due to travel to the Europeans. And I broke my leg. So I thought that was the beginning and the end of my career. Um, but in fact, then I went on to work for Dr. Bechtelsheimer, who in fact, um, some of you might know Laura Bechtelsheimer, who in fact was my teammate this year. Um, her father actually um, took me on as a 21-year-old. And um, he really sort of helped me find uh, my way in dressage and put me on the team i was at the world games in 1990 and then uh, rode barcelona for them i was with them for three and a half years before i went it alone and um, i've had a few years on and off in between and um, had a, a wonderful horse called escapado probably four or five years back he's still going strong now with hans peter minderhout uh, in holland and um i acquired this horse liebling i've only had him a year so it was a relatively short partnership but to uh, get on the team this year was fantastic for me again I just it was lovely to have something to aim for and obviously to have um, the European Championships here in Windsor was something I'd always wanted to do the only time we ever had the Europeans before was Hickstead and in fact I was the reserve that year it was uh, a slightly controversial time I was a reserve 
um, like two weeks before the championships. Then I was on the team the day before the championships, and then they had a big meeting the night of the championships, and I was taken off and put as reserve again. So I missed my chance to ride. So in actual fact, for me to ride Windsor this year was really like a dream come true. I've always wanted to ride in my home country, and for the team to do so well. I mean, we we always had some great horses and riders on our team but as you know for everybody to come together on the same day is a very difficult thing to do and um, for once the British team got it right and um, I think we all rose to the occasion every single one of us is thrilled with our rides and it was just a dream come true to win a medal I mean I kind of resigned myself to the fact 10 years ago probably I wouldn't win a medal you know only the chosen few do um, but I've always enjoyed the sport and was happy to be there or thereabouts. Came a bit closer with Escapado um, a few years ago, and I was third at the Europeans in Hagen on him, but that was the one year they decided not to give a medal for the special, so I didn't win that. And then, um, obviously, this year to get a medal again was just, finally for it to happen, was just a fantastic moment for me. Well, that's something you can identify with, Lisa. Oh, Yes. Oh, my goodness. You recall... Uh, now, I have just another question for you. Are you in touch with Hans, Peter, now that you've exchanged? I am. Yes, I am, and I, I do speak to him regularly, and we talk about the horse quite a lot. Because, interestingly enough, you know Relevant went also to Holland after my career with him. Yes. And I so uh, it was always interesting to follow him a little bit, and it's always fun to see them do well. And, I agree. Uh, and I don't know just out of curiosity, you know he's been sold to England, I just read. Relevant. I, just, I read that too. He's apparently come to stand at a breeding station over here. So that'll be Is exciting. Is that close to, to where breeder. you are? Um, he's about a couple of hours away from me. He's not so close, but I mean, this is a small country, as you know, and, you know, the breeders over here is a very small community. So I think they'll be quite excited to have him over here because we, we were very lucky. You've probably heard of DiMaggio, who was world champion. I mean, he is probably our most famous breeding stallion in England and, um, relevant will obviously be, um, a very close, close, close call with him, really. I'm so happy for him now. I think that, uh... Somebody's going to cherish him to his uh, retirement, through his retirement. And, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I think he's going to have a great retirement. I mean, he's going to have all the women he needs, and they're going to be English ones. Well, you know how elegant English <laughs> ladies are. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, he deserves that. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit more about this horse that you won on uh, the silver medal with, Carl. Um, you said you've only had the ride for a year. So where, where was he in his career before you got the ride? He actually has been produced in England. Um, a girl called Anna Ross Davis had him before me, and um, he went to the European Championships two years ago with her. And then last year I was asked to take on the ride and um, took him on. He's, he's quite a quirky horse, as a lot of those good ones are. I mean, I had a bit of a job getting to grips with him. Um, quite talented in the difficult movements. And um, he's, he's a trier, you know, he's a real consistent horse. And it took me, as I always feel when you take over somebody else's horse, I've been lucky in my career to have ones I've produced. And then sometimes I've um, t taken over rides of other people. And it, I really feel it does take a year. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure Lisa will probably agree, uh, probably minimum, I would imagine, a year to, to make a partnership. And things really only yeah. just became became good just before the Europeans. Yeah, I was just getting it together in Arkham. I didn't want to do any of these big shows because I didn't feel ready and I wasn't going to produce the goods. Um, but because of our selection policy, I had to do the big shows. And it was a very quick learning curve for me and for him. And, you know, it's, it's, it's adapting when you're taking on someone else's horse. He had to adapt. I had to adapt. Um, yeah. And, you know, the we, things, things are very different with different horses. And Escapado, I would have ridden three times a day. I mean, this one had a day off the day before my test. Well, that's sort of a fairly ropey way of riding a European, but it works for him. So, I mean, he had the day off before I went to the Europeans. In fact, he had three days off, so it was quite unusual. Wow. And that is what I'm talking about, adapting to a different type of horse. But he's 12, and he's very experienced, and, and he gave his all there, and I had three good tests. 
Does that make you any more sort of anxious when you actually get to the competition, uh, even even though you know the horse, Carl, that, you know, he's had that time off, you know, is he going to tune in as quickly as you need him to? Well, you're right there, because, I mean, that is not an easy way to ride a test. And in actual fact, I say that he had three days off, and it was a little bit because the week before I really felt I was getting into trouble and things weren't going very well. And our team captain is Richard Davison, um, somebody I've known for many years, somebody I respect. He's a very good technician, very good organiser. And um, I rung Richard and I said, things are going wrong. You know, we're going to the Europeans next week. You know, I'm hoping I'm going to break my arm so I don't have to go and I've got a valid <laughs> excuse at the moment. Um, but I am I'm not finding you. one. <laughs> and I'm going to have to go. What shall I do? And he said... Give the horse a couple of days off. You're just probably overtraining, and you know, so you're panicking about the test, and you know, just give the horse a couple of days off. So this was on the Thursday, but due to arrive at Windsor on the Sunday, and um, so anyway, I thought, okay, I'll do that. So I gave the horse Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Arrived at Windsor for my trot up on Monday. Richard said to me, "How's he going?" And I said, "Well, I said no different than when I spoke to you last week. I haven't ridden him." He said, "What do you mean you haven't ridden him?" I said, well, you said to give him some time off. And he said, I didn't mean that literally, Carl. <laughs> so there was a little bit of a panic from everybody, not just myself, because suddenly I was like, oh, my God, I have done the wrong thing. But anyway, it did work. And I think the horse probably was a little bit tired with the training and, um, you know, just came came back to life. And, you know, as I said, I have been actually competing internationally 20 years, so I'm not a nervous rider. I'm, I'm fairly confident where I'm going in a Grand Prix and... Um, I don't need to think about those sorts of things. So, I mean, I just had to concentrate on uh, on motivating him for the day. So it, it, it was an unusual way of doing it, but it did work. So what Because does... of all your experience. <laughs> that, that's well, what that horse's advantage is. It well, makes a difference. Yeah, Even though I, I, I think you're right. I mean, in the good old days, I look back at my career and I think how many horses helped me in the beginning. You know, and you'll know the same, Lisa. We all learn off horses that helped us. Um, and then suddenly you get to a point in your life where you actually feel you can do something for them because your experience um, does come out. And I think that's a little bit how I finally managed to change it around. Yeah. So Good what does you. this tell you, Carl? Is, um, obviously, this is a horse you would be hoping to get on the WEG team with. Um, yes, I mean, I have a very good young horse who's eight years old who's just won the small tour championship over here called um, Utopia. And he's going to start Grand Prix down in Spain, and he has an exceptional temperament. And um, he's been very successful so far, and I'm very excited about him. So I, I would be hoping to run the two of them next year um, and see which one um, comes up trumps, really. I, I think this young horse is as good, if not better, uh, eventually. So. I'll just have to ride them off at shows a little bit and just see which one comes comes to the top. But what does that Europeans tell you in terms of your preparation with Liebling and, and how you would prepare him for a major competition such as WEG, especially with the long-distance travel that's involved with coming over to Kentucky? Well, I think, you know, we have, luckily over here, I mean, we'll probably start our season quite early and I will, you know, probably campaign in May, June and July. And then I hope that we'll make a team decision, you know, end of July, beginning of August, in which case then I could actually let the horse down to build him up because, as you know, to keep a horse at peak for a whole season is an impossible task. Um, bearing in mind, you know, we want to look after their soundness and you want to look after their mental attitude. So, you know, I would be hoping to, like, they know he's reliable, they know he can get the scores now. And I'm, I'm just hoping to be able to campaign him early, prove that he's fit, sound, and still doing well, and then um, give him his break, um, you know, end of July up until the middle of August, and then build him back up again. So the, that score that you got at Windsor, would that be a personal best for the pair of you? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, you know, I was um, in shock, really. <laughs> I was, I mean... You know, I mean, it, it was absolutely a, a, a shock. I mean, I had had 69% in arc, and so things had been going up. I'd had 60, I'd been on a regular 67, got a 69 in arc, and which had me in the top 10 there. And then at the Europeans, I have to say, I 
didn't really follow the scoreboard through my test, which I normally do. I'm quite a bad, um, a bad habit about things like that. You just can't help but watch your scores go along and clench your fists as you get going. And um, I luckily didn't follow my score. And as I came out, I just looked up and I accidentally mistook the the girl before me who was 67. And uh, I just saw that as a final score. And I thought, oh, well, 67. Not bad. And as I walked to the entrance, you know, Richard is um, hopping up and down, throwing his arms in the air. And I'm like, oh, only you could be happy with 67, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> and he's but like, you want to know score? something? That playing field has changed immensely. When I look at the top 10 horses going today, when I think about me being in Hickstead at the Open European Championships in 2003, yeah. Uh, amazing. Can you remember what your score Edward, was, Lisa? What did you win your medal on in 2003? And in 2003, uh, what was my score? Yeah. I think I had, it was either 73 or 74. And that just goes to tell you, and to be number two in the Grand Prix, excuse me. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. it went up to, I think I had, it was going up to 76 or 77 in the special and Ola won it that year yeah and then third was um, Jan Brink it's so, amazing this year, I mean I, I came third the, the judges were thinking big numbers at Windsor all the way through though weren't they Carl I mean you know we've got world records now that took place that weekend so they, they were prepared to raise the bar all the way through yeah, you know, to be honest, I think the precedent was set at Hickstead earlier on before the Europeans. And that was quite simply because suddenly Total Ass came to Hickstead and he scored a huge amount of tens. And um, one judge in particular gave him, again, like nine tens in the test. And oh, as competitors, we suddenly said after the test, this is going to change, you know, because now suddenly they are able to give tens and scores are going to go. And sure enough, they came to the Europeans, and I think the confidence had already been given. And then, sure enough, the ten started appearing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, well, it certainly doesn't. You know, I was talking to Edward about this recently, and I think you know, even he was a surprise, and Adelinda too. You know that the judges are daring actually now to to recognise excellence. I mean, there's no such thing as perfect, but this is excellence. This is what we're defining as excellence in the sport. You're absolutely right, and I have to say, having seen it in the flesh and watched it, it was goosebump stuff. I mean, these two were out of this world, and you really were, like, looking, thinking it, it can't be much better. And, you know, that is a phenomenal place to be, especially, like, in my career to watch it, for instance. I mean, having, you know, as... Lisa would have done. I mean, you know, remember watching Rembrandt and Corlandus and Gigolo and Bonfire. I mean, all greats in their time. And every single time I watched those horses at that stage in my career, I thought, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there won't be better. And yeah. then here we are 20 years later, and there is better. And there really is an incredible difference. Um, as wonderful as those horses were, these two are gobsmacking. I'm just, I just can't wait to see what's going to happen if I'm alive in the next 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, here's a question to both of you about this, the, the way that the scores are going now. And, you know, the 90s are not that far off. We're going to get to the point, I think, if, if, if you know, if we're looking like, as you say, Carl, the last 20 years, we were way up there, you know, with the greats of those days. How does this challenge you as riders that you see other combinations doing this? Uh, and it's something you both aspire to, surely. Lisa, you go. Ah, I think that um, in my personal is I'm 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 not changing the way I approach my work. I'm as dedicated and and uh, picky about everything I do. But knowing now that the judging is is going to you know they're open to giving more for what you do. I think at first I must say when I saw you guys getting those scores, I thought. Oh, all of a sudden you're looking at your horse thinking, is mine good enough? God, yeah. I need to trade this one in for something like that. But um, I think just in general that, that uh, I think this opens the door for dressage. I think it opens the door for our sport and uh, as a public, you know, as a spectator sport. 
that people can start to become enthusiastic about what they're, you know, the riders are receiving, especially when the when you're seeing what you guys got to see in Windsor. And tens are popping up. That just makes a very enthusiastic public, I think. What do you think, uh, Carl? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I think that the public now um, can really understand and relate to what they're seeing. I mean, you know, everything is so much more geared for them with scores to be seen, with technical freestyles, with amazing music. Um, we all have to step up to the bar. I mean, I it was... How how can I say it? I mean, I, I rode my horse and I was thrilled with the way it went. I didn't feel I could get any more. And, you know, I'm happy with the way I train. And I just think that, you know, there is things always that can get better and I mean I'm still learning a lot watching these guys I mean the Dutch influence I think is going to be huge um, I know it can be very controversial and it, and, and it is controversial but yeah. you know we can all take a little bit of, of that there, it's, there's more to it than just for instance Ronco which obviously causes this controversy but there is more to it than that you know the preparation on how they expect the demands of the horse to be the um, fitness of the riders I mean, these are things that probably weren't available um, to us as riders maybe 10 years ago, and they are available now, and we all have to follow, follow suit, really, and, and find, you know, find those little bit extras that, that can make us better. I mean, I don't make any mistake when I say I think those horses are like super horses, super talented horses. Um, they are incredible, but their training is also um, exceptional. You don't find this in any way intimidating to think, well, that's what it takes to win a gold medal now. You've got to get up into the, into the mid-80s or high-80s for, uh, you know, to, to get on the medal podium as an individual. You know, with the horses that you currently have, both of you, I mean, does that intimidate you in any way? You know, for me at first it did, but I think it shouldn't because... Uh, as Carl knows, things are, you you are still, dressage is still dressage, and we all strive for the best. And, yeah, we, we, what it's going to take are some, obviously, the breeding programs going on right now that are spectacular horses being bred right now. Yes. But I yeah. don't think people should get dis- disappointed and frustrated and give up because I think we've got some nice horses. It just keeps the level and the standard. We have to maintain a high standard. Absolutely. I think you need to Yeah, we just have to maintain a high standard. Don't panic. Don't start to push buttons on horses that, you know, are going to make them nuts now because you're going to try and get them to get their legs up over their ears. You know what I mean? Early on. You don't, I think that we just stay at that high standard that we have. And I think we've seen some beautiful examples and try to, yeah. Well, you touched on that, Heather. Uh, uh, we touched on that, Lisa, the standard of horses. And, and I want to just mention that to you, uh, Carl, because we've seen British dressage just, you know, just come through the ranks in the last t- sort of 10 years, 10, 15 years. And it's just made amazing progress. And you're, you're breeding a lot of good horses there. You're, you, you've got a terrific base over there that you didn't have 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, we have bigger breeders now. We have more trainers coming over. More people are prepared. I mean, Lisa did it herself. She went to Germany. I mean, you know, Fiona Bigwood was based in Germany on our, who was just the reserve for our team. Emma Hindle's based in Germany. Laura Bechtelsheimer trains in Germany. I mean, you can move around. I mean, we're very lucky. Obviously, not as easy for you in America to, to do the traveling, but it's, it's not difficult for us to have access to these trainers and these breeding programs. And, you know, British dressers has embraced that. And I think, you know, Desi Dillingham, who I believe was on your show as well at some point, huge influence on the breeding and getting people motivated and looking for good bloodlines. And, and people are going and watching now. I mean, that's how you learn, you know. I mean, you will have a huge sort of group of people from England go to watch the Bundes Champion I'll go and watch the shows over there. I mean, you know, people are being more open-minded now. And um, I think that's where our influence has come in over here, really. And really, wherever we go, I mean, we're looking at the quality of horse now that is just everywhere you go, Lisa, isn't it? In this country and, and in Europe. Uh, but I think particularly in this country, the quality of horse now is just everywhere. 
And and for young riders, you know, I'm looking at the North America Junior Young Rider Championships earlier this year, Lisa. I mean, the quality of horses that are available to these young people that are hopefully going to come up through the ranks. Yeah, I, it's a large country, and it it's taken time, and it's still going to take time. But uh, as you know, I'm involved with High Life Breeding Farm, and uh, I'm very impressed with the quality that they're breeding and uh, the education that they've that they're receiving by going to Germany and you know Oldenburg and actually Hanover, Ferren have fantastic uh, breeding programs to educate these American breeders and. We're just starting to see a little bit, a glimpse of a sparkle in what we're producing now. And uh, and we've got some amazing I, I, talent. I think next year is going to be really exciting when we see the likes of Tartulus and Parsifal and, and uh, Ravel come together. Um, hopefully you'll be uh, coming over to join us next year, Carl, um, and be on that team. Um, what will your be, be your preparation between now and then? Well, I've now got um, a bit of time off, which I'm really looking forward to, I have to say. It's, it's a hard slog to put yourself out every year. Um, you know, I work for my living. I have to teach for my living. Um, you know, I, don't, I can't afford just to be a rider, um, which I would love to have been, um, but it just hasn't, that's not been my way. My family's not horsey, and I've made my own way, so... I have to stay at home now and try and earn some money and prepare myself for next year. And as I say, I need, I've always needed, you know, a year or two off in between some of these big championships just to regroup myself and horses get sold and, you know, and then I have to like produce the next lot. So I'm going to have a little bit of a break now. Start on the Sunshine Tour in March down in Spain, just with the young Grand Prix horse and then um, hit the big show sort of May, June, July. And, um, off we go again, and um, yeah, hoping to end up in the World Games, which I'm, you know, I love the Americans. I mean, they are over the top. Nobody will do it as good as them. I love their attitude and their enthusiasm. So it's certainly a place where we all want to ride, and um, that will be my um, aim for the year. I was hoping that this could be my retirement now, but I don't think it's quite going to happen because, of course, once you get re-enthused, off you go again. So I just need a couple more bad shows, and then maybe I'll be able to hang up my boots. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen anytime soon with a horse like that, and we, we don't want you to be thinking of retirement yet. Well, no, not I'm not going to do a Robert Dover and do, you know, every year for the last 10 years. I mean, he does, <laughs> you know, he's always been my, uh, a bit of an inspiration, really. Uh, it helped me when I was very young and starting, and um, it has made me laugh the amount of times he's going to retire. So I mustn't make the same mistake. You're quite right. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes to show you the passion goes deep. It does. It's You're absolutely right. The, pocket, the trouble is the pocket has to go with it, Lisa, as you know. And, <laughs> is um, that true? Yes, I so, know. Yeah, there's a bit of work to do yet. Well, Carl, it's been great fun having you on the show. Really appreciate you joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you over here for the World Equestrian Games. Hopefully you'll make that team with that fabulous horse of yours. And, uh, uh, and in the meantime, maybe you'll come and enjoy some Florida sunshine over the winter. Yeah, I really hope I get there this winter. I, I did have a, um, a, a couple of days there, well, on and off last, last winter doing a bit of training, and I loved it, so I'll certainly be going back. And thanks for talking to me, and I want to wish Lisa lots of luck as well because she was um, quite something as well at the Europeans over here in Hickstead, and I know she had a lot of fans in England, so um, it's lovely talking to her too. Well, terrific. It's been a, it's Thank been, you. It's been Big a pleasure, hug. Carl. We'll have you back on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, and good luck. Thank you very much. Well, that was wonderful to talk to Carl Lee. So, you know, he just he's just got such a positive, a bit like Robert, great positive attitude that, you know, hey, that, you know, we'll have another go. Exactly. And, you know, it just goes to show you, you can't get a good writer down. He is the epitome of what dressage is, the cycles that writers go through. Yes. Those three-year changes of hands into the next horse and then, back up that ladder at the top again and then that horse is gone and you're back down and it it's for me if I've I've it seems like a three-year cycle that uh, we professional riders find ourselves in and as he states it's a it's, it's a huge financial obligation and you've got to make sure that uh, you unfortunately have to make decisions you wouldn't like to make but sometimes your best horse is gone shortly after a large competition and you've mm-hmm. got to to maintain the 
the rest of the program. So um, he does that brilliantly. Yes. And he's, he's uh, I just, I enjoy his charm and his enthusiasm, and it doesn't get him down. And I like that about Carl. Yeah, yeah. Well, good luck to Carl, and we'll have him back on the show next year and uh, hear some more about his preparation for the World Equestrian Games. In the meantime, we're going to take another short break here for our commercial insertion here with the KPP USA. And uh, when we come back, we're going to listen to your tip of the week, your training tip of the week, Lisa. So uh, don't go away, anybody. We'll be right back. Well, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we talk a lot about Kentucky Performance Products, and that's because they are a name you can trust to give you the most value for your supplement money. Kentucky Performance Products offer supplements designed to target specific problems and are made with high-quality ingredients included at effective levels. The company's supplements are intended to complement, not compete, with your dressage horse's current feeding program, guarding against over-supplementation, and each product is backed by sound research and the money-back satisfaction guarantee. And today, we'd like to talk to you about Nalox, the original equine antacid. Recommended by veterinarians and leading horsemen as a way of maintaining a healthy stomach, which reduces the risk of ulcers. Nalox can be given daily to horses exposed to stressful conditions or as needed when shipping, competing, or during stall confinement. You know, you can learn about Nalox and all the products at Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Well, thanks again to kppusa.com for their support, without which uh, this show would not be possible. Well, Lisa, you have a trading tip of the week for us. What have you got up your sleeve this week? Yes, I sure do. And, you know, as Debbie had talked about happy horses, um, one way to keep them this way is having correctly fitting tack. And uh, I keep a keen eye on horses' backs before and after I ride. And if... uh, I am a stickler about properly fitting saddles. Yes, I want a balanced saddle that the rider can find their seat in, their balance in, but it has to sit over the scapula of the horse and the shoulder to allow it the full potential of its ability, you know, its its movement potential. And uh, this is something that I think we riders, well, some of us that have just gotten into the business, I think... People think a saddle is a saddle is a saddle, but it would be as if you and or I would get in a shoe that would be too small for us, and then somebody would ask us to go jog a mile. And um, I have, in my experience traveling from clinic to clinic, I have have seen horses change 180 degrees, taking a saddle off that didn't fit, put a saddle on, from a rider that was kicking and kicking and all they could do to get the horse forward to the horse suddenly has a saddle that fits and is moving on his own accord. So my my tip would be pay attention, keep a keen eye on your horse's back before you put a saddle on. I know you're up there brushing in a curry comb. They'll give you some signs if things are getting sensitive. And double check. Make sure your saddle fits. That's a that's a that's a happy horse. If your saddle fits, that's a happy horse. And that's my tip of the week. Well, thank you, Lisa. And that's good advice. And, uh, you know, not least of all, that the horse will tell you when you actually put the saddle on, when you start to tack that horse up and you, if you drop that saddle off, and sometimes they'll tell you right away that they're not comfortable. And, and exactly. as, as you pointed out, Lisa, you know, if we've got uncomfortable shoes ourselves, you know, it's, it, that's one thing. But when you think, when you put that saddle on and then you put a weight on top of it, if, Correct. If it's not, exactly. if the saddle's not right, you're compounding it by putting a weight on it, you know, pressing that into the to the back of the horse and and uh, over the withers and uh, so I think that's an excellent tip and uh, I appreciate that, Lisa. Thank you so much. Your horses will be happy. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. They'll be smiling. All right. Yeah. Well, we've got a smiling listener too, and we're delighted to say we heard from. Uh, uh, Patricia Lasco, who's the editor of Dressage Today, and anybody who Yay, Patty! <laughs> yes, anybody that follows uh, Dressage as closely as we do, 
Um, we'll be reading that wonderful magazine, Dressage, today. And we want to thank Patty for writing, writing to us. She just dropped me a note the other day, and she said, I love Dressage Radio and all your shows. So thanks so much, Patty. We'd love to hear from you, too. That's great. So don't forget, we can uh, we we always look forward to hearing from you. You can uh, email us with your comments and questions. So uh, uh, we want to uh, remind you of that. And I know uh, Lisa's going to remind you again in a minute. So uh, I want to thank you again, Lisa, for uh, your contribution this this week. And uh, and uh, you're going to let everybody know how they can reach us. Absolutely. You can follow our show notes at uh, dressageradio.com. Send us your feedback. Leave a voicemail at 270-803-0025 or you can email Chris and I at chris at horseradionetwork.com The Dressage Radio Show has a fan page on Facebook and there's a link to the page on our website and you can follow us on Twitter as well at Horse Radio. We would like to thank our sponsors Equestrian Life and Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Well, thank you, Lisa. And reminding everybody once again that Equestrian Life, which can be found at equestrianlife.com, is our official social network of the Horse Radio Network. And uh, those of you uh, who have been over there will know that they do a lot of videos. I do a lot of work for Equestrian Life. And uh, uh, one new project that we're, we're going to be starting in the next uh, week or so is a new weekly online video magazine show and that's going to include all kinds of things. And uh, I'm sure we'll get Lisa on that as well. Uh, so uh, we're going to be producing that from the Kentucky Horse Park. And we'll have a whole range of news and issues that we will cover every week on the new Equestrian Life uh, video. So check that out and support our sponsors at equestrianlife.com. Stay tuned. Absolutely. All right, Lisa. Well, we're just plain running out of time here this week. I want to thank you so much again for sitting in the co-host chair with us. And next week, I'm going to be joined by Debbie McDonald again. So uh, until we meet again next time. Thanks for listening and enjoy your riding. 